Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. I mean, beverages, watching a big game, it can't get any better. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Kicking things off here on the GM Shuffle, two of Michael Lombardi's favorites, me and Pat McAfee. Could you have ever imagined a world, Michael, in which your two favorites are a part of WWE? I debuted on Monday Night Raw, and now Pat was there on Friday Night SmackDown. It is only a matter of time until we are going to see Lombardi ringside with your kids, grandkids at WrestleMania. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for it either. I'm so excited. You know, it's the world's colliding. I love it. And, and I just want everybody to know AD's not going anywhere on the pod. He can fit it into his schedule. So I know he's big time and he's at WWE, <laughs> but, you know, he's not going to leave the top rope to, to leave GM Shuffle. But I, I, I'm really excited. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a more genuine in person that I've met in in this television industry and podcasting world and Pat McAfee. And he's been tremendous to me. I do the Hammer Down podcast uh, with uh, with Tone Diggs and and the Gumpmeister and and the whole crew from uh, from McAfee Incorporated along with Pat and they've been tremendous. So yeah, it's great to see the two of you get together. I mean, I'll come down there. I told Pat I was on the Hammer Down yesterday. I said, look, I, I could be like Bruno San Martino, just sit at the front row, you know. <laughs> And uh, watch the whole thing. I used to I used to come home on Saturdays when I was a kid. I, I I have this thing that I'm doing. It's one of the greatest gifts my daughter-in-laws ever gave me. Is they uh, my my uh, Matthew's wife Julie gave me this gift called Storyworth. And what it is, Ad, is it's like every week I get asked a question about growing up, right? And what it was like. And then I write. I write whatever I want to write about that subject, okay? And and like for me and and you just share with your you just share with with what you want to say and then after 52 weeks it all goes into a notebook 
And then they print it out and they give it to the grandkids so they could read about like, you know, the first question I had to answer, what was your mom like as a child or what was your favorite toys? And then you just go on to it. I mean, like I'm 30, I'm not even half the year done. I'm 33 pages into this thing. I got 12,000, almost 13,000 words that I've written on this subject. But but my point here is it kind of rekindles your, your childhood memories. It's fascinating. And you get bring it back. And one of them was I would race home at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon to go watch worldwide uh, to go watch wrestling when Vince McMahon's dad ran it, right? And I could never figure out how Andre the Giant wasn't how Bruno San Martino could beat Andre the Giant. Like I could never figure that out. Like like you know, in school you never mess with the bigger kids because they would kick your ass. So I'm like, I applied the same logic. I'm like, that can't work, right? But it, it, it was. And so anyway, these memories are just great. You go back and think about it. And especially when you grow up and live in a town, you know, like I'm living where I grew up. So when I walk down some of these streets, it rekindles memories. So it's really good. But I'm excited for you and Pat. I'm excited that we're keeping you at the GM shuffle. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I ain't going anywhere. And like I said, it's fun to rekindle those memories. And everyone's always got a favorite uh, wrestler from their youth. I mean, you just say George Animal Steel and immediately people, uh, you know, have have images and memories. Yeah, from the, uh, there was somebody from the Isle of Malta that I can remember. I forget who that was. You know, I could just see, and I never I never knew where the Isle of Malta in such a small world. My other daughter-in-law, Michelle, she, her whole family is from Malta. So it's great. It's like, you know, and I, all I can remember was the Isle of Malta that they would introduce this. I forget what wrestler this was. He was from the Isle of Malta, you know, and then, and then the sneaker hold. How about all those lines? The sleeper, do you have the sleeper hold where they would get you to sleep, you know? Oh yeah. The oh, submission God, moves are great. unbelievable. You're right. The, the, you could just—I've been watching YouTube clips. You can—you can never run out of it. It's just so entertaining and it's just so uh, educational. Uh, speaking of an education, last week on the GM Shuffle, we talked about player evaluations, the idea of Justin Fields slipping in the draft, and you talked about players don't slip, Mike, but they're graded more accurately leading up to the draft. So there's lots of notable analysts and recent evaluations and such. Let's kick it off first. NFL Network's Bucky Brooks, his thoughts on Mac Jones. This audio, courtesy of the Rich Eisen Show and NBC. At any time when you looked at Alabama, did you feel like Mac Jones was the best player on the field uh, in a game? Like, if you didn't necessarily feel that way, then you shouldn't view him as one of the best players in all the football, particularly in the NFL draft. Look, he's a really good player. He's a great distributor, but I think he's limited. And I know people like to make the comparisons like, hey, look at what Drew Brees has been able to do. Look at Tom Brady. But we're also talking about two quarterbacks who have 20 years of experience playing the position in the National Football League. I would challenge anybody to show me who is a young quarterback that plays like them that is currently having success in the league. And we can't name one. All right. So interesting thought there. Mac Jones, not a modern day quarterback for today's NFL. In case you're unaware, a lot of speculation. He's going to go number three, the San Francisco 49ers. Your thoughts, Mike, on what Bucky's saying? Well, I, I think, you know, look, uh, you know, Bucky's obviously entitled to his opinion. I think that, uh, you know, I know Patrick Mahomes has a lot of breakdown on plays and he makes loose plays and he runs around. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, quarterbacks that are going to win, you know, we talk about the breakdown of the play and creating the second play, which is really uh, important. But I mean, I think Derek Carr is very similar to a drop back passer. I don't think he moves around the pocket much. I mean, I think Justin Herbert's going to be a drop. I think Justin Herbert and Tom Brady, they're different athletes, but I think they're going to end up being the same. So we can agree to disagree on that. But I think the bigger issue here, AD, is what are we actually looking for? And and, and I was thinking of this, and I went back to uh, what, what we tried to do in Cleveland originally was we tried to give and did this in 
every place that I've been that I had actual say on what we were doing. Certainly with Belichick, it was really, this is where it all began. But we tried to define exactly what we were looking for in the position. So quarterback, and I'm, I'm going to read this to you. Quarterback, we wanted somebody who was at least 6027, weighed 220, could run 481, had a test score of 25, and we understood that his decline would begin at 31 and probably his career would end at 35. Now, those numbers are obsolete. This was written back in 1991. So we know that age is different. However, that being said, here's the verbiage of what the the advice was to the scouts on what they needed to look for in a quarterback. We will never take a quarterback with a low test score who plays at a poor level of competition and is not capable of leading the team. Those three areas are vital to us when we're looking for a quarterback. Without mentioning size and speed, the scout must first answer the mental and leadership question completely before you give a high grade. If the quarterback is inaccurate, then this will hurt his chances of getting a high grade on our draft board. The ability to throw the ball in the right spot is paramount to the success of the quarterback. Just looking at the test score is not going to answer the problem. Be prepared to face a lot of questioning if you grade a quarterback high with a low test score. The level of comp is a tough call, but it really applies to the quarterback position. It would be difficult for a small school quarterback to get a good grade unless he played well in the postseason. Okay, so that's kind of just a little bit of the background. Now, here's the reminders that we tried to give the scouts before they went in. The quarterback must be the hardest working player on the team. You've got to answer the question, does he watch tape? Does he watch it alone with the coach or does he do it? Does he watch it with the game plan? How much time does he spend and how long does he need to get the game plan? You must attend a game in person to get a feel for the player. The rhythm of the game is critical. You must, is he thick skinned? Can he handle the pressure of the position, positive and negative? How many times does he come back and lead his team to a win? How often does he play with the lead? How often does he play from behind? When do turnovers occur? Can he secure the ball? What are his cold weather ball habits? What is his eye level like during the game? Can he see down the field? Is he quick minded, not always book smart? We want quick minded quarterbacks, okay? Does he change plays at the line of scrimmage or is everything coming off the cardboard box? Okay, what was his production in college and who was his production against? Can he throw touchdown passes and where on the field do they go? Any touchdown pass inside the five doesn't count. What is the main coverage he faces each week? And what percentage of completion of those passes does he throw them against? Critical play of the game, who has the ball in his hands? Okay, right? What is his third down quarterback rating? Can he make plays on all downs? What was his high school one loss record? Was he the best athlete in high school? Does he have incredible eye-hand coordination? Could he go play golf or some other sport? Tony Romo, right? Can he come back and be effective after a big hit? Really critical. You got to watch this. What's his body language like after being hit? How often is he in the facility? How many days a week? Is he a gym rat? What kind of ball... Old, new, used, same. Does he throw in practice in the game? Quarterbacks have a favorite ball, and that's scary. So those are the reminders. So now, that's what we wanted in Cleveland. That's what we wanted. Now, you say test score, okay? Well, I think, to me, test score is not always an indicative of how smart Joe Montana was a third-round pick, probably because he had a 16, 18 test score. His test score wasn't great. Joe Montana was a smart player. So you just can't look at the test score and say, this guy's smart or this guy's dumb. You know, I mean, I think Mitchell Trubisky played really not smart, but he had a higher test score. How does 
you got to equate that, right? That's what the scout's job is to do, is to sh- is give examples of a quarterback playing smart. So when you read a report on a quarterback, you want to be able to read, watch player play, play number 75 versus Ohio State playing Indiana as a demonstration of his intelligence. You want to be able to cite those and take those off. And I think that's probably the part of the problem we're facing is we keep asking, we keep having these evaluators evaluate quarterbacks when, in fact, are we sure we know what they want in a quarterback? And I love all the stuff you'd written down, Mike, because there's a real balance there of, you know, deductive reasoning, actual analytical stats, and then also psychological stuff. For example, some of it is, hey, how is he on third downs? How does he, you know, face pressure? But some of it is, how does he face criticism? And there have been times, there's numerous times, I'm sure you could give me plenty of players you've said, hey, listen, the physical gifts were there, but mentally... It was just a struggle for them. Or maybe we didn't approach it the right way mentally. I can't tell you how many times working in sports, someone says, listen, some guys need a pat on the back and some guys you can rail in their faces. And that's all part of like you're describing right now, the draft process, which can be a tough thing to try to figure out. Yeah. And I mean, look, you and you just can't use numbers, right? I mean, I think what you can't use is you've got to be able to visualize the quarterbacks. Plus, how many people are really good at, at breaking down the quarterback's mechanics? Because quarterbacks are an awful lot like baseball pitchers. Unless you understand the mechanics of the position, unless you understand where, how he throws the ball. Like, for example, if you spend any time with Tom Brady and you listen to Tom Brady talk about the art of throwing the football, and I have, because I took notes and I would ask him, like, tell me, teach me this position, how you see the ball being thrown. Tell me what it's like. Tell me what you want from the throw. He changed his mechanics dramatically throughout his career, much like people change their golfers, change their golf swings. When you watch it and you watch some of these guys throw, like you watch Justin Fields' mechanic, he's going to have to change his mechanics. He's just going to have to because he tends to overstride. He tends to, to, the ball doesn't come off of his easy. He's not a high thrower. Like if, if, the way Brady describes the, the throwing of the ball compared to the way Justin Fields throws it would be different. Now, that doesn't mean Justin Fields can't play the position. I am not saying that. This whole debate between Fields and Mac Jones is really about preference. It really comes down to what the 49ers want. I've been on record as saying I think they would go for Mac Jones, and if they didn't go for Mac Jones, they're going to go for Trey Lance. I'm more confident that they'll go for Mac Jones, but that to me means that they value, based on these things that I've read to you, that's what they value in their position. So when someone knocks Justin Fields, it's not a knock that he can't play. Like, I don't see Justin Fields as, like, I didn't think Dwayne Haskins was ever going to be a very good player. I I, I thought he couldn't. I don't see that with Justin Fields. I think it's going to take some time. Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance is a year away from being a year away. It, you know, here's a kid who really played at a very level, lower level of comp, right? You've, he's only played 19 games in his career, right? You've never seen him really play against, he's never played against, he's played 19 games against Division One. He's never played against the, the elite level player. So you haven't really seen him do that. Now, you love his talent and you say, you know what? This guy, if I had this guy, he's going to be a really good player in time. It's going to take a year for him. And you got to bank on that because he's a great kid. He's smart. He's smart as hell. He's a great kid. He fits a lot of these, a lot of these alerts that I have. But the problem is if you're going to pick somebody the third pick, you don't want to have a, you don't want to have a two-year project. 
And that project may prove to be really, really worthwhile. Yeah, and we just had the Bucky Brooks clip there talking about Mac Jones not being a modern-day quarterback. You talked about preference. So here's Kurt Warner on Mac Jones, the audio courtesy of Kurt Warner, ex-quarterback confidential. Here's why he likes a guy like Mac Jones. See what there is to like about Mac Jones, his ability to understand what he's seeing pre-snap, his ability to manipulate the defense post-snap, recognize what he's getting and get the ball out on time, his ability to recognize the different kinds of throws that you have to make. Recognize that, hey, I don't have to always throw at 100 miles an hour if I know what I'm doing, if I'm on time, and I understand the kind of throw I need to make. So a lot of good things to like about Mac Jones. I think, A.D., what he's saying there, what, what Kurt's saying there is what I believe what Kyle Shanahan values in the position. You know, uh, I think that that's... Uh, I really think that that's something. I think it's the cerebral aspect of the game that appeals to Kyle Shanahan. Someone who can control the game at the line of scrimmage. Someone who can get him into the right play, get him into the right run, move the defense around with his eyes, and feel really, really comfortable that the 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 game is being controlled at the line of scrimmage. And if you listen to anybody talk about Mac Jones and you listen to people say, hey, this guy is really, really, this is what, this is his biggest strength is his cerebral ability. I mean, he's teaching Bill O'Brien the offense down at Alabama. So you know this. Now, this doesn't mean Justin Fields doesn't have it. Like, this is not all or another. Like, this is what I don't understand. Like, the one thing about the draft is it's always about what do you, you know, how you value talent. And everybody values talent completely different. They value talent completely different. I just think if you know Kyle Shanahan and you understand how they operate and what they do, then I think you have a better chance at figuring out where they're going to go with the pick. All right, so if Kyle Shanahan, that makes sense, he would go with Mac Jones. Like you said, if you know the system, you know the preference, well, how about Justin Fields? Because there are some out there in the media saying, no, no, he should actually be, uh, probably not going to be the second, obviously, Kyle Wilson's going to the Jets, maybe the third quarterback taken there with San Francisco. Here's Chris Sims debating, this is a specific aspect now, Justin Fields is throwing motion after his second pro day, the audio courtesy of Pro Football Talk and NBC Sports. I will still say, I have concerns about the motion, the way he throws the football. I do. Even in the workout yesterday, I saw a number of the throws, a number of them. My biggest issue with it, and I don't know if it's going to be fixable with him. And, of course, it leads to moments of moments in games and, and long stretches of just like where you go, wait, what the hell was that? How did he throw the last 10 throws so awesome, and now these five or six throws are this bad? How the hell does that happen? And that's what concerns me about Fields. Concerns there, Mike? Do you echo those? I think what Chris Sims is talking about there, AD, is, is he's talking about this mechanics. And everybody who watches the workout of Justin Fields, they see the completions. They're only grading the completions. They're not grading the form and they're not grading the ability of when he's going to throw and how. It's be like you and I going to the driving range. And Butch Harmon's watching Mickelson hit balls. And you and I are watching Mickelson hit balls, right? Well, you and I see Mickelson just drive this thing 350 yards down the middle. We're like, wow, man, that's amazing, right? And Butch Harmon be like, that's not going to hold up. Like, that's just not going to hold up. We're going to have to change some things in the swing under pressure when the game's... That's exactly what Sims is talking about. He's not knocking the kid. He's just worried that this swing, as we've seen with a lot of golfers, and the passing is very similar to a golfing throw, we see a lot of this happen. 
And so, you know, when you break this down, you've got to be really careful about how you really want to break down the quarterback. And if you can't have this conversation, if you can't have this conversation as it relates to the mechanics, then you're really not ready to talk about evaluating quarterbacks. Unless you can really understand this, it really under, then you're really not qualified to talk about it because this is what goes into it. It's like me going to talk about Mickelson's golf swing or talking about some baseball pitcher's mechanics. I have no idea what it is. I just judge, I just judge the velocity. And that's what's interesting is you're right. You can only take so much in the numbers and try to take stock of what it actually means. The, 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 the overarching narrative is this, Mike. This is what I want to kind of get the, the button point on this. There's a narrative that Mac Jones is steady, but Justin Fields can be a superstar. Do you buy that narrative or is that nonsense? I, I just think to me, I, I think part of the problem is no one can believe that Mac Jones has risen to this level, even though there's, there's, there's evidence that supports it. Right, the Alabama players all say he's better than Tua. Now, you know, Tua went fourth pick overall in the draft, right? And nobody had a problem with that. I mean, Mac Jones is a better collegiate player than Daniel Jones was. Daniel Jones went sixth overall in the draft, but yet no one's buying it. You know, Justin Fields is, you know, he's a player at Ohio State. They beat Clemson. He's played well in big games, you know, and so everybody's evaluating Mac Jones based on the surrounding talent that is there. However, with the same talent, Tua never looked that good. I see this, and then what Bucky's saying is, Bucky thinks he's a, basically he's a pocket passer that can't last in the NFL because you have to move around. Well, I, th- I think you do, but we've gotten carried away with the second looks. Like, how many times in a game is that second look got to ha- It doesn't happen on every play. The ball's got to come out on time. The ball's got to come out in rhythm. The ball's got to be thrown to the right guy. Remember, quick-minded, quick-minded is always better than quick-footed. Always better than quick-footed. Quick-minded is better than quick-footed. Look at Steph Curry. Steph Curry is having an unbelievable stretch in a league that basically doesn't even give a shit about the regular season, the NBA. We don't even want to talk about it. But the reality of it is, is, Steph Curry's, you know, was never very big in high school, never got an offer. I mean, Roy Williams is quoted as saying, I didn't even know who the kid was. And when I did see him, I thought he was way too skinny and too small. So here, and and what did he figure out? He figured out how to be quick-minded to get his shot off because he wasn't quick-footed all the time. And what else did he figure out? He figured out I could be, my endurance has to be better than everybody else's. So look, I saw Mac Jones's body. And I said, there's no way I could take that guy at the third pick of the draft. And if I were and if I were running a team, if I were running the Jets, I would not pick Mac Jones too. I wouldn't pick Zach Wilson too. I would pick the tackle from Oregon. All I'm trying to do is report what people are telling us based on what they know. And based on the history of the 49ers, the history of Kyle Shanahan. If I called three people who worked for Kyle Shanahan today and put them on the phone, and I said, who do you think Kyle would like? They would say Mac Jones. For the reasons that I cited in what I was saying about my alerts, what he values. You see, that's what I think everybody's missing the point. Unless you understand what Kyle Shanahan values, 
How can you make, how can you determine that he should pick Justin Fields? Right. Forget about what you want, what you think. That's what that guy wants, and that's the guy who's going to be making the decision. Uh, we're going to have lots more GM shuffles, by the way, next week leading into the draft, just so you're all aware. Of course, the draft is going to be next Thursday, so we're going to be on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So a couple of preview shows next week. We'll do a recap of the first round on Friday, and they'll recap all of it the following Monday. When we come back, though, as I mentioned, the draft a week away, our ongoing Fix My Team and How Many Moves, the Bears. Bears and the Dolphins in the spotlight next. All right, this is the best time of the year for any sports fan. The college basketball tournament is coming up. Who could get enough hoops? And I'm rooting for Arizona this year. I'm a West Coast guy. I want to see a West Coast team win it. Hasn't been done since 1997. Hopefully the Wildcats can get it done. But regardless of who makes it to the final game in the tourney, one thing's for certain. It takes the most talented people working together to help these teams play at this level. And if you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. And right now, our friends over at ZipRecruiter can help you do that. ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com shuffle. You can try it out, no cost whatsoever. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for your position. Once you review your list of the most qualified candidates, you can easily invite your top choices to apply so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a win team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. From New Jersey, USA, it's Fix My Team and How Many Moves. And now, here are your hosts, Michael Lombardi and Adnan Berg. All right, Fix My Team and How Many Moves continues with our focus on the Chicago Bears. They won five of their first six games by a combined margin of 20 points, a 5-1 and one start overshadowed by head coach Matt Nagy, benching Mitchell Trubisky for Nick Foles. The Bears end up backing into the postseason. That's right, in case you forgot, they were 8-8 eight and eight and got in the playoffs. Of course, they're a one and done. They lost 21-9 to the Saints. So Nagy and GM Ryan Pace given a reprieve. Instead, MVP Mitch is now gone. Mike, in how many moves can you fix a Bears team? This is the classic. Oh, they made the playoffs, but they're a 500 team. They're an average team. They're the 20th overall pick. How many moves to fix these guys? Well, I, I think it's going to be a challenge. I think at least it's four move, but let's start with the number one move. you got to fix the quarterback position. I mean, and that's going to be the biggest challenge of all for Ryan Pace. Andy Dalton or Nick Foles, that's who they think. Right. I mean, how do they do that? Like, what are they going to do? You know, Andy Dalton is this quintessential 2020 2020 quarterback, right? So we know that. And then, like, how do we... How do we get better as a team? We don't have a right tackle right now. I mean, that's going to be a huge problem. The defensive corner, and I think what's gone underneath the, I think what's really not talked about enough is defensively, they weren't as good. I mean, Vegas, you know, the over-under win totals came out this past week. And shockingly, you know, Chicago is at seven. That's what Vegas thinks of Chicago's win totals. Now, remember, that's a 7-10 and 10 record. I know this is hard. It's hard for me to get that in my head. They're going to play 17 games. So, I mean, I have to do the math. It's very challenging. But for me, when you look at Chicago, they were really bad on third down. They couldn't – their defense – 
when they blitzed last year, this is remarkable. When the Bears blitzed last year, they were the 31st worst defense in the National Football League. Like it was like every time they called a blitz, it was worthless, right? They don't, their corner situation, they need to improve in that, that place, right? They need to improve corner. They need to improve, they need to improve in their offensive line. I've been saying this for years. Like their offensive line has to get, has to improve because they can't control. And then you've got the whole question about Nagy. How good of a head coach is Matt Nagy? Is his team going to play with enough toughness? Can they handle it? Can they play that way? You know, they signed Desmond Trufant to help their corner. He didn't play very well for Detroit last year. You know, Robert Quinn, you know, that was a loss for them. They traded Robert Quinn. They traded Leonard Floyd for Robert Quinn in terms of an exchange. The Rams got the better of that deal. But to me, I think there's four moves they have to make. They got to get a quarterback. They've got to improve their offensive line and they've got to get corners and they've got to add depth to the defensive line. It seems simplistic, but you're right. With so many teams, it's those key positions, both sides of the ball, offensive line, defensive line. But like you said, the quarterback is just an enormous one. And Dalton, that one-year $10 million contract, a max value of $13 million. Like, does anyone actually think, Mike, he's going to have a great year? Like, if I was told you, if I asked you to predict how he's going to do, you're going to go, excuse me, uh, mediocre to subpar. Like, I don't think anybody expects him to actually have a great season. Here's the teams that are favor- that, that are that that Vegas has posted at seven wins. If you If you bet this now, Seven wins or more, do you cash? So you have to, It's excuse me, it has to be eight wins or more to cash if you're the Bears, right? So the under is seven and under. So if six and under. So, you know, I think the number's perfect, right? Like, I do I think the Bears can win seven games? Yeah. Do I think they can win eight? Uh, eight and nine, maybe. That That's a little hard one. But they're in the group with the Giants and the Falcons. Both those are at seven wins. Below the seven-win threshold are the Jaguars, the Bengals, the Jets, and the Eagles. That's all you need to know. Now, the Lions are at five, right? What I think people forget about the Lions is Dan Campbell signed a six-year contract. And in that six-year contract, it's a rebuilding year. So, like, I could see the Lions, and I don't want to get off the subject, but I could see the Lions really deciding to go for a quarterback this year. I could see Chris Spielman, who I think is going to have a lot of say in that building. I think he's going to have a lot of say. I know Brad Holmes is the general manager, but I think Chris Spielman, he's not a shy guy, nor is he quiet. I think he's going to have a lot to say in that building. And I think he, everything, if you ever listen to Chris Spielman talk, it's about grit. It's about toughness. It's about pad level. Everybody has them taking a wide receiver in the first round. That doesn't fit any narrative that comes out of Chris Spielman's mouth. Plus, the guy lived in Columbus. If there was ever a quarterback that he had a like, then it's got to be Justin Fields. If he doesn't take Justin Fields, that's got to worry him. So for me, I think, you know, so the Lions are at five and the Bears are at seven. Like, that's a close gap. Considering the fact that, you know, Green Bay and Minnesota are going to be slightly improved. So I, I think the Bears at seven tells you all you need to know what the Vegas boys think of Andy Dalton and their quarterback situation. That's interesting. And the fact that even in the draft selection, the Lions would be at seventh. So you're, to your point, if Spielman says, all right, let's try to trade up to four. Maybe the Falcons try to grab Justin Fields, but that's uh, another topic for another day. Um, in terms of our next team, about the Miami Dolphins. So the team finished 10 and six, yet missed the playoffs heartbreaking fashion. And there's a lot of good things here when you look at this team. Brian Flores, excellent coach. 
But the big quandary, which you have discussed in detail, Mike, is Tua Tungavailoa and the fact that the jury remains out. He has not lit the world on fire. He's been excellent at times. He's certainly shown flashes of potential. He's also shown the concerns with regards to durability. So in how many moves do you fix the Dolphins? They did sign Jacoby Brissett. That's a one-year, $5 million contract. But obviously, that's more in support of Tua. Yeah. I mean, everybody tells me they want to add more weapons. They, they need more they want another receiver. You know, they want to add more skill to their team. I mean, they signed Will Fuller, which takes can take that if he can play in eight games with Devontae Parker, I mean, that's that's a lot of weapons to go along with, you know, with 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 Gasecki as a tight end, an inside guy. Look, Tua averaged six point two five yards per attempt last year. You know, I mean, he really had a hard time. When we talk about player splits, when we talk about, you know, how does the player work on third down, let me just give you this. On third down this year, Tua, in his 10 games, he was 33 for 66, 50% completion. He averaged 4.65 yards per attempt on third down. 4.65. So is there any, are you surprised that the Dolphins ranked 30th and third and medium and short? Are you surprised that the Dolphins ranked 30, 29th and third at three and outs? Are you surprised that the Dolphins were 27th overall in third down? I mean, this is a significant problem. Now, what they're saying to you is, what they're saying to you is, is they are going to, they are going to address the skill because this is going to make third down much easier for them. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think when you break this player down, four point six five. I mean, he struggled to get the ball. He threw four touchdown passes on third down, threw three interceptions. So you know. Look, on first down, the down that most quarterbacks have the highest yards per attempt because it's the easiest down to throw the ball in, he averaged 6.72. So they're counting on him being able, they're counting on finding players that he can stretch the field with. In 10 games last year, AD, two or through 25 passes, 25, six passes of over 25 yards on completions. Six in 10 games. Six. So you tell me. I mean, we can put down all the needs, right? I mean, now you, you're going to say he's got to get better, right? You're going to say he's got to get better. Here's the other thing. When we talk about the things I broke down on quarterbacks, when, le- when winning the game, two averages 6.24 yards per attempt. When losing, in the, he averages 6.3. Like, it doesn't really matter. He's not changing what he does, win or lose. He can't change what he does. I'm with you that you think improvement comes, right? Naturally, anybody who's starting a new job, anyone who's transitioning to something different, they'll get better. We all know the NFL is a greater challenge than college, learning curve, et cetera. But you are right that ultimately, A, you got to stay healthy. You got to just stay on the field. Like, that's the first thing. And then B, all this has to happen. And what you're describing when you say, okay, let's get more weapons. Let's help the guy out. That's the classic, hey, we have a liability here. We, you can't say let's hide it. How do you how the hell are you going to hide the starting quarterback? But let's help him out as much as possible, right? Let's beef up the offensive line. Let's get him great receivers. Let's get him great running backs. And hopefully that will translate. And the, the pre-draft activity is interesting. Now, of course, you know, they've had two trades involving first-round picks, but they've received calls from teams looking to trade up to the sixth overall pick, according to NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. So Miami is considering such a move out of that spot. Imagine that, Mike. They've already made some moves. Maybe they get some more picks to move out of six and drop down lower. Well, I mean, it, it, the, the word on the street, and this could be just completely false, is the fact that they want to take get a skill player. They want Jamar Chase or Pitts or one of those guys to really impact their team. And if they if they can't get Chase or Pitts, then you know they don't want to take the Alabama receivers at six. They would like to trade down. Look, they paid a heavy price to Philly. I think Philly won that trade to go up six spots. They got a two for next year, so they can maximize their. They can they can 
offset some of the losses from moving up if they can move back. But teams have to want to move up, right? Atlanta's talking about trading out, right? We know that. Uh, you know, the Cincinnati's never traded, so forget about them. Six would trade out. Seven is the Detroit Lions. Would they trade out? Maybe. Eight, I think there's no doubt. The, 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 if, if either quarterback made it to eight, I think that Carolina would entertain either picking the quarterback, maybe Fields, I don't know, or maybe trading down if somebody wanted to come get Fields. We'll see. But everybody's talking about trading down. I mean, even the Giants, Dave Gettleman's never traded down in his career from uh, when he was in in Carolina and when he's at the Giants, and yet the Giants are talking about trading down. I mean, the problem with this draft is it's not filled with talented players defensively that you could pick in the top 10. That's really where the problems with this draft starts. There's nobody that is what we would call a, Al Davis used to put players on it. He would always say, go to the board. Okay, Mickey, put one A and then one B and then one C. And then he would put players in those clusters. Like who would he take, you know? And they, and then it, of course it was all on it was all on uh, grease board because we had to race it at the end of the day, so nothing was really written. So, but the problem with this draft is, is I don't know if there's a one A top ten defensive player. Is it Makai Carson's? Is it Pay? Is it Certain? I think that's the real issue, and I think that's why you're trying to see teams that are trading down, and they're trying to enhance that quarterback value to get people to go up. Well, that brings us to the L.A. Rams, and the Rams, again, an interesting team because you can look at their strengths, and there's no question about it. They've got you know a great defense. 2020 record was 10-6, and six, but they do not have a first-round pick. First one is 57th overall. They only have six total picks in the 2021 draft. So you can point out the defense allowed the fewest points and yards. Um, the fact that, by the way, Staley probably had that into a head coaching job with the Chargers. But McVay's offense, after trading for Matthew Stafford. Now, we, we both know here in the shuffle, we've been critical of Jared Goff. So maybe this is the move to take him over the top. But they're not going to get help, Mike, in the draft with only six picks. Unless I Listen, if you pick really astutely. My point is this. They are making a big move here with Stafford. How many moves can you fix a 10 and 6 team in a tough division? Well, I think the number one move they've got to do is they got to say to themselves, look, if we got Whitworth coming back for one year, and if we lose him, it could be problematic for Matthew Stafford. So we got to try to find a way to get a backup left tackle, whether it's Note Bloom, who they have confidence in, is it Bobby Evans, who they drafted in the third round in 19? You know, who is that guy going to be? Now, it's hard to find a starting left tackle with the 67th pick in the draft, to make no mistake about that, but that's what they're going to have to try to do. And then all these draft picks are going to have to give them depth. Look, I think they've done a really good job of adding talent to their team with later draft picks. You know, they get Cam Akers, who I thought was a a really good pick for them last year. We'll see if Terrell Lewis, who they picked in the third round, can come through for them. But I think that's the key. I think they're going to have to try to find depth with their football team because they have no cap room. And the one position that if I would keep me awake at night if I was Sean McVay is who's going to be my backup left tackle? Like, where am I getting offensive line depth? If I have any injuries to this offensive line, things could break down for me in a hurry. As far as Stafford is concerned, we agree he's an upgrade over Goff. How do you think he'll fare? Oh, I think he's definitely an upgrade over Goff. I think he's going to be really good in this system. I think McVay is going to be able to throw the ball back, and I think he's going to have more of a drop-back pass game. But once again, can this offensive line drop-back pass protect? That's going to be the key. Can they protect when it becomes a drop-back pass game? That's not been the case. They've always had to use play action, partly because Goff was never really comfortable. He'd get nervous in the pocket. 
I think that's going to be the, the the key. If they can do that, then I think that they they can improve. But they're really on on the edge, like they really are on the edge in terms of can they stay healthy? Can they stay healthy? I mean, Vegas has their over under win total set at uh, at at ten and a half, and I think that's I think that's very doable, Ad. If they stay healthy. If they don't stay healthy, it's not doable at all. Yeah, I might be inclined to take the over. When you were when you were about to sit, I thought maybe it's eleven. So ten and a half, of course. Vegas always knows. It, it puts you right in that gray area. He goes, is it an eleven and five team or a ten and six team? So that feels about right. Um, as always, they've got a lot invested in so-called blue chip players. As you're pointing out, the depth isn't necessarily there. But if their stars step up, you can see a pathway to success. When we come back, we open up the GM Shuffle mailbag, discuss the retirement of Alex Smith. Plus, Jeopardy host. Joe Buck, that's next. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning. I'm checking the betting odds. I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health. And DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning. It's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy. I'm sharper at work. I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed subscription service easily builds DSO1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle code 25SHUFFLE. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning. I'm checking the betting odds. I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health. And DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning. It's an easy capsule. And that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy. I'm sharper at work. I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DS01 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE. 
Uh, getting this email, as always, you can email us, the GM Shuffle. When trading back or forward in the NFL draft, you ask the team you're trading with who they are going to take in the draft. I would think that you ask who the team trading up is taking to make sure that team isn't taking a player you're interested in. That's uh, Chris in Milwaukee. The only way you trade back is if you have multiple players. So, for example, say you're picking at 45 and you get an offer to go to 55, right? The way, the only way you really want to go back is you have to have, you have to have at least six players, maybe seven, that you feel like if any one of those six or seven are there at 55, you could pick them. Either way, you if you only have one player, then you can't trade back. Then you then basically you're hurting yourself. So the way you trade back is when you have a cluster. And the only way you can trade back is you can't fall in love. Trading back means you're not in love. Trading back means you're not prisoner to your depth chart. Trading back means that you're willing to take somebody that is in this cluster. You may not even know who it is. You may not decide who it is until the moment. You may have three of those guys available when you trade back. But the only way you trade back is if you do that. Now, you're never gonna, the team's never going to tell you who they're going to pick. You probably have a pretty good idea who they want when they come get it. When you're trading in the top of the five, like if you're sitting there at Atlanta, and you're trading with, let's say Denver comes up. Denver wants to come up. Denver's probably going to say, look, we're probably going to take, we're coming up to get one of the quarterbacks. That's probably all you're going to need to know. If they do it on the day of the draft, say Mac Jones goes three, and then Denver trades with Atlanta. Atlanta's going to know they're coming up to get Justin Fields or Trey Lance. And so Atlanta, you know, Atlanta say, who do you got? Who are you guys going to pick? Well, we're going, to, we're going to take Fields. And if it gets really close on the clock, you know, you, you got to tell the team, hey, turn in the card for Fields while we work this trade out. So you make sure you get your guys so the time doesn't expire. Interesting how that works. There's all the different nuances. You know it being there. How about the twists and turns of Alex Smith's career? The longtime quarterback announcing his retirement Monday, capping a 16-year journey, started as a number one pick in the draft and an improbable return from a gruesome injury. He's turning 37 next month. He announced the decision on Instagram, so he wants to spend more time with his family. Released by the Washington football team, but he was the comeback player of the year for getting on the field after an injury two years earlier that nearly cost him his right leg. You think about the eight seasons in San Francisco, Francisco, you know, KC, obviously the moments there. Ultimately, his teams went 99, 67, and one. He almost won 100 games in the NFL, threw for over 35,000 yards, almost 200 touchdowns, 199, and the 46 picks since 2013, the second fewest by a quarterback with at least 70 starts, trailing only Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, Mike, it was amazing he came back. It's well documented, the 18 injuries. But you have to think about where this guy was at the start of his career and definitely lots of uh, accolades along the way. I mean, look, you know, in where this guy started, where this guy finished is somewhat remarkable, right? I mean, in 2007, he played in seven games and he completed less than 50% of his passes. I mean, think about that, right? Less than 50. His first his first three years in the league, he never got above 58% completion. I mean, he never really could. And then and then even even then later on. Now, I think what Alex Smith is really a poster child, a poster child for finding the right scheme to fit the player's skill set. I think he was really became a poster child for that because when he was really good in 11, you know, when he when he threw for 61% completions, he played in all 16 games. I mean, the one thing about this kid's career is he's never been a you know, he's never been a player that's played in all the games every year. I mean, he played in 11, he played in all 16. He played in all 15, in 15, he played in all 16. 
You know, in Kansas City, he's played in 15. Now, maybe he sat out the season, sat out one of those games because it was probably bait. But the reality of it is, is I think what he's a perfect example of and a shining light for when a coach understands what the player can do and then builds an offense around that. I think that's what Harbaugh did with Greg Roman in San Francisco. I think what Andy Reid did is took the Utah offense that that Alex Smith was running with with uh, Urban Meyer, and he basically made it Utah College. He made it Utah Pro. He just took that offense and he incorporated it in, and that's what made Alex Smith's career so good. So, you know, I think it take it took him a while to get going. I mean, the first three years were not very impressive. They held on to him. And, you know, and he was not very good. It wasn't until really he got to 11 and 12 in San Francisco that he really improved his game. So it's a tribute to the finding out what he can and couldn't do. Yeah, resilience and perseverance. And I loved Andy Reid's quote. He's a heck of a person. I told him if he gets into coaching, I'll get first dibs on him. He's a guy you'd love to have in your staff, a special person and one of my all-time favorites. Congrats to Alex Smith. Last thought for our Pop Culture Minute, Joe Buck, Jeopardy host. He's going to be in the mix. So, so far, we've had Aaron Rodgers auditioning. Uh, I believe Anderson Cooper is on the mix, is in the mix, and Joe Buck's going to do it. And Joe said he wants to do it full time. I mean, for people who don't know, they tape a bunch of episodes. So he would not take away from his NFL or MLB responsibilities for Fox. They just tape the episodes and he'd figure it out. But Joe Buck on Jeopardy. Listen, Mike, he's funny, he's witty, obviously, he's a great voice, good presence. I think Joe's going to do well. Oh, I think he'd be great at that. I think Joe's really, really smart. And I think he would be engaging and he's, and he's entertaining and he's funny. I think if you know Joe, I think it's ideal. I think the other guy that they should consider is Rich Eisen. I mean, Rich Eisen would be awesome at this. I mean, Rich Eisen loves game shows. He would be good. He, I could see Rich Eisen being the new Peter Marshall, you know, Hollywood Squares, you know, get the, or Gene Rayburn, get that long microphone, you know, out. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I listened to, I watched a couple with uh, Aaron Rodgers. I thought he was great. Uh, I just listened last night to uh, Anderson Cooper. I could tell, you know, Millie's like, who's that doing Jeopardy? And I said, well, he can't, it's Anderson Cooper. I could just tell from the voice. So I definitely can't wait to watch Buck do it. Yeah, like anyone, I thought with Aaron Rodgers, show two got better than show one. Once you get more comfortable, you do get better. Would you ever have any interest to be a game show host? Like, just imagine Michael Lombardi, Wheel of Fortune. No, because I would be like, I would have a heart. I would be like stunned like the contestants. I would be like, wait a minute, what's that What's that quote over there? Wait a I look like a chooch. No, no. I, I, I mean, tell you, no, honestly, I'll tell you where you'd be great. You'd be great on Family Feud. You know why? Because you'd have all these little witty comments and jokes about your own family and like yeah. it'd be very good natured. I think you'd be great on Family Feud. Family Feud is I had to take Barbershop out. To, I mean, I had to. I took Barbershop out. Finally got him out of his nursing home yesterday. I took him out to lunch. That that could have been Family Feud. There could have been like, Millie kept elbowing me under the table. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, you know, yeah, that would have been Family Feud. Italian style, like kind of like Chrissy and in the intervention. You know how that went. <laughs> That's what I mean. If it was Italian style family feud, like, you know, what's your favorite conduit to put on a sandwich? You'd be like, all right, man, how the hell is mayo number three? Are you kidding? Let me tell you guys, here's a story when I was growing up in Jersey. I think it'd be a, an Italian style family feud. We're going to get that on the books. No doubt. No doubt. I, I Speaking of family feud, I, I appreciate it. I just started reading Sinatra, Why Sinatra Matters by Pete Hamill. Nice. Amazing. Such a great book. Such a great book. Sinatra sitting there at, at uh, PJ Clark's having drinks with kind of encircled in cave debating whether Hemingway or F. Scott Fitzgerald's the better writer. Sinatra favorite F. Scott Fitzgerald. But then, you know, somebody said, well, the, the secret to real talent is being able to do it twice. And, and Sinatra said, that's brilliant. And then I think it swayed his mind. And it's true. 
You got to be able to do it twice. Good point. F. Scott's got the great Gatsby, but I mean, Hemingway ripped him in a movable feast, basically said this guy squandered his talent, whereas Hem followed up The Sun Also Rises with a farewell to arms, later from the bell tolls, old man of the sea. So that's a good line. All right, uh, this is the GM Shuffle. As always, next week, we're doing extra episodes, folks, Monday and Wednesdays. Those are special preview shows of the draft. Friday, we will recap round one, and then the following week, we'll recap the rest of the rounds. Support us on Instagram and on Twitter. You can follow Mike, M. Lombardi NFL, his Twitter handle. You can also follow me, Adnan S. Verk. We'll talk to you on Monday on The Shuffle.